Welcome to another session of Peach Divas. I'm Liz. And I'm Zine. And today we have a very, very special guest to us. And we know that at the end of this hour, she will also be very special to you. Her name is Erica Osterman. Welcome, Erica. Welcome. Nice to meet you guys. <laughs> and for our listeners who may not be aware of Erica, she pretty much could have, maybe actually is the inspiration for Parks and Rec's Leslie Nope. Yes. And she, she was our living boss. Was, yeah. Yeah. She is um, the... She is as close as I've ever seen someone come to what Leslie Nope, what Wesley Nope, oh my god, Leslie Nope um, inspires or aspires to be. And for those of you who don't know the show for whatever reason, and you should get on that if you haven't You should stop this, this podcast and watch know, it, basically. But oh, I gotta, I gotta go, guys. Oh, no. I know, like, <laughs> no! Erica herself doesn't know, but, but like, so Leslie wow. Nope is played by um, Amy Poehler, and she's like this uber-competent, really sincere... Uh, like municipal government leader who's like super organized she has all these binders and she's like really like perky she's very like feminist and she's really um like really cares about people she really sincere she's really and she met her ben and it was cute and sweet and then yeah so how about we talk about the real life um because erica is her and yet also not her yeah erica do you want to give us a little bit of a background about you what you do um, yeah. yeah, so do I start, what time? Do I start at, like, birth, or do I start at, like, today? Okay, tell us what you're doing now and why you do it. Oh, okay, yeah. So I am at Cornell University. I am finishing up my six years as an administrator as a house assistant dean, which means I'm working in a residential community with undergraduates, predominantly upperclassmen, so no first years. Mm-hmm. And um, in my free time, I am wrapping up my third year as a PhD student in information science. In free, free time. time. <laughs> yeah, free time is important. That's where you get a lot of stuff done, actually. Like a PhD. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I'm doing these days is a lot of time in Ithaca. Yeah. Oh. See? Already we've got some good stuff to work with. So I told you before that I came up with some questions for you. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind was, how are you so awesome? Oh. <laughs> okay, so if I tell you, I will have to kill you. But um, <laughs> I know how to do that in six different ways, too. No, no, no. I'm, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> student life really give you, gives you access to, like, knowing all the different things as well as flushing a loaf of bread down the toilet, apparently, right? Yes. Yeah, this this is thing you missed from what? one of our recent staff meetings, that apparently you could flush a loaf of bread down the toilet. Yeah, you shouldn't try this. It's not good for the plumbing, but... It's like a sponge. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like it's been done oh, before. Sorry, a quick note also for our listeners. When we say that Erica used to be our boss, and people might be sort of confused remembering that I'm from English and Liz from biomedical engineering, we both worked as graduate resident fellows under Erica as our assistant dean uh, on yes. the Bay House on West Campus there. Yes, so I recognized greatness and hired these two wonderful people yes. and take oh, full credit so for actually bringing them together. <laughs> That's true. So without Hans Beta, this would have just been one of those like yeah. totally ships in the night situations. So yeah, if you guys yeah. like this podcast, we you are indirectly indebted to to the team of Erica and our house professor, Scott McDonald. Yeah. yeah. And so you've been involved in a lot of student administration activities for a long time, Erica. Um, I would like to start off by talking about that. And then eventually getting into this, how are you an administrator and a graduate student? Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that work for you? Yeah. But absolutely. first, let's talk about, like, what is your trajectory through student um, administration? Yeah. Or um, is that the right way to say it? What yeah, you're doing? student affairs, okay. higher ed administration. Yeah, okay. there's a couple of different words, but they all mean about the same thing. Already? Yeah. So when I was an undergrad, um, I was definitely going to be a microbiologist. Um, oh. So oh, okay. did AP bio, whole thing, was doing the science track. And then I had to, one extra slot in my schedule, and I was like, oh, should I take psychology or sociology? I didn't really know there was a difference between the two of them, mm-hmm. but I, I decided sociology fit better in my schedule. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, intro so freshman year, here we go. Um, okay. And so I ended up in this class, and I was like, whoa, you can study this, and the entire world is constructed? And so mm-hmm. I had one of those like brain moments where the, my entire orientation to understanding my world changed. And that's wow. powerful when you have those. Yeah. Um, and it was like a really simple thing about like watching commercials at different times in the day and looking at who the intended audience was. Wow. And I was like, there is no accident here. They really mm-hmm. do know who's, they're telling me who should be watching this show at this time mm-hmm. of day. Mm-hmm. And that was. And I'm sure that must have been mind blowing. Well, not mind blowing, but I know from our other conversations, you're also from 
Oh my god. Maine. Maine. I was going to say New Hampshire. I'm so sorry. Where's Bowdoin? I'm real surprised. I was trying to like say You know, we've been doing this for five minutes. You haven't mentioned it yet. But you're also from Maine, which is like a very special part of the United States. Yes. Very homogenous in some ways. Very, very cold, very homogenous. We don't hug. Other people hug Mainers. Interesting. We we're yeah, we're we're kind of the Puritan New England my space. High space. Five. I thought okay. you hugged us though. Well, I mean, maybe you hugged me. Oh. Okay. So, <laughs> there's that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I'm good. I'm good with hugs. Yeah, so I'm from Maine, I'm going to school. I think I'm gonna be a bio major, take intro soch, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible and pretty neat. And so I get compelled by good conversations with my roommates, actually, um, mm-hmm. that maybe I should be taking sociology. Um, that being said, I went as far as my program to, in my junior year, my friends going, Erica, no one takes organic chemistry for fun. <laughs> so you're a social major and an econ minor, and, and I know you love the sciences, but no one takes orgo for fun. And so they talked no me out of it. No orgo for fun. So I did not take organic chemistry. That happens to me when I started taking computer science because... You know, you got to get your, your stems in there. So all of that to say that that was kind of the educational trajectory that got me closer to the social sciences and to people and further away from mitochondria and things like that, <laughs> which mitochondria is still my favorite part of the cell, like hands down. It's my favorite. Pretty important. Um, and then I had this kind of other life-changing moment my freshman year. So I had been like a three-season athlete in high school, captain of my oh, what team. Sport? I played field hockey, swim, and lacrosse. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, it hasn't been evident yet. Erica has like inexhaustible energy. She's also like recently biked across the U.S. But anyway, yes, we can. We'll have to <laughs> touch on that. Yeah. Um, so I'm playing. I was freshman year at um, yeah at Bowdoin College, and my roommate's like, I want to play rugby, and I'm like, I don't know how to play rugby, but fall ball hadn't started up for lacrosse yet, and that's what mm-hmm. I was most interested in playing. And you don't get to like walk on to field hockey and lacrosse at college level. So I was like, maybe going to play fall ball with the lacrosse girls. Um, but in the meantime, I was like, sure, my roommate, she's 5'2 also. She can play rugby. I can play rugby. Mm-hmm. So we're playing rugby. It's the homecoming game, October 19th, and I get hit and blow my ACL. Oh. Um, so that's a big, like when your identity is sports and being athletic and you have a lot of energy. That was a bad day, but this really incredible thing happened. So that was a mm-hmm. Saturday. And Sunday, there's a phone call, because we had old-fashioned phones, like, still in our room. So the I have those, too. Yeah. <laughs> the phone rings, and I'm like, hi, you know, because I'm kind of bummed. I'm on crutches right now. We don't actually know what my diagnosis is. We just know my knee's beat up. I heard something pop, but no no information mm. yet. Mm-hmm. And it's the first-year dean. It's Margaret Hazlett. And she's like, hi, Erica. How are you doing? And I was like, I mean wow, you're, you're calling me Sunny, but this is wild. Because yesterday, you know, I actually, I just, like, I hurt my knee during the game. She's like, yeah, I heard about that. And then I was like, <laughs> you knew about this? She's like, yeah, I was just checking in, checking the call and see how you were doing. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, we have some appointments and stuff. She's like, okay, well, we'll stay in touch. You take care of yourself. And I hang up, and I'm just like, her job is to call me and see if I'm doing okay? Yeah. That's amazing. And so needless to say, lots of additional meetings with Margaret Hazlett, writing letters to my knee and counseling because this is bad. Student athletes getting hurt is bad, mm-hmm. especially when you're freshman fall. It's a tough time. So yeah. that was when I kind of had my first insight into like student affairs and that this is work that people do as a job. And mm-hmm. I haphazardly, I have a thing called the life book um, where I keep notes on life. There are different sections. We can get into mm-hmm. it later course, if you want. Of course you do. But yeah. one of the sections is things I might want to be when I grow up. I continue to add to this because I'm not a grown-up. Um, mm-hmm. I think none of us ever get grown-up until we die, and then it's too True. late. But maybe not too late. So anyhow, I, at that point, added Dean to this list. My By like my sophomore year, I was reflective enough about that experience. Like, oh, maybe I'd want to be a Dean. Um, and so Did now you start walking around saying, Dean Osterman? Um, I didn't, but my (laughs) friends did. Mm. So I was the one in the friend group who would read, like, all of my emails from start to finish. And so they'd be like, oh, yeah, there was something due. I'm like, yeah, in two weeks, like, open registration closes. And so Mm. I just was really good with rules and procedures. So my friends started calling me Dean Osterman Mm. um, by the end of senior year, which, you know, things play out the way they're supposed to. So I guess when we think about, like, trajectory and how does one get into this, I accidentally took a sociology class and I blew out my ACL my freshman year. And all of that kind of overlapped into, wow, there's actually a lot more going on for identity and people. And mm-hmm. 
I got to meet my dean and see what a dean's work actually looks like. Um, and it was pretty powerful. And then I was like, yeah. Oh. And I had one of these undergraduate experiences that was very transformative and was like, wow, can I be part of someone else's mm-hmm. transformative undergraduate experience? And this idea that like, people just stopped and asked me some really good questions that got me to be like, oh, well, when you think about it that way, right? Yeah, those and invisible people that keep not only the institution running, but keep the students on their path when they could so easily fall off the path. Yes. Yeah, and transforming not only undergraduate, but graduate experiences like mine <laughs> and Liz's. Graduate experiences, that is very true. Though I do, I want to put up a flag right now, because I realize I'm doing this beautiful thing where it's like there's this lovely story that came together, mm-hmm. and now I'm assistant dean Osterman. Wrong. I would not have ended up working in higher education. My senior year of college was like a really tough one. We're talking... Counseling center was like, how about you come in twice a week? And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to come see you twice a week. So it was a, it was yeah. a tough senior fall uh, and spring for that matter. But I had only gotten my applications together to actually work at um, private high schools in admissions and that sort of space in New England. Because that's what I was like, maybe that's what I want to do is help people get to college. Um, and mm-hmm. I've been a tour guide for four years. I can walk backwards and talk. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> um, I have funny stories about that. So... I had only been looking at K-12 stuff, and then it was a Tuesday night, and my friend's like, uh, we should go to the bar, and I'm like, obviously, it's senior spring, we should be going to a bar on a Tuesday uh-huh. night, so we do this, and they're talking about this opening in the residential life office at Bowdoin, and they're like, Erica, you should totally apply, you're such a good friend, like, you could take care of other people, <laughs> and I was like, maybe, but I was never an RA, right, I lived with RAs, I'd never done uh-huh. a lockout, I'd never been to training, I did, like, pre-orientation stuff, like, outdoor kayaking and outing club and admissions work and, like, the Special Olympics and things like that. So I was an involved student, but I had never done res life. And they're like, you should apply. So I go home on a Tuesday night, and I apply. The search closed the next day, and I got a call from the director being like, so it's cool that you applied. We've actually already been interviewing people, so that was nice for you to apply, but how about you just come in for, like, an informational interview? We'd be happy to talk to you about this. I'm like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. great. So we talk about it. One thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. And their candidate said no. And then they were like, hey, why don't we interview Erica? Mm-hmm. And so it was because I went to a bar with my friends on Tuesday night. I <laughs> yeah. So it looked like there was this nice story that made sense. But really, it was pretty um, circumstantial. And I think sometimes people get nervous that like their plan of 20 years isn't what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And mine was just kind of happened. And it was a good fit. That's, yeah. so, that's so interesting, given there's this... Obviously, you're such a highly planned person, but you're still making sure that you have space for these serendipitous moments. Um, lessons for our, our listeners is, I guess, <laughs> go up, hang out with your friends, because you don't know how that might lead to your new career path. Exactly. <laughs> go drinking on a Tuesday. Yep, drinking Maybe. on a Tuesday night. You got to say yes to that. Go drinking every day. It'll increase your chances of success, right? Um, <laughs> okay, I'm still assistant Dean Oscar, and I do not endorse that message. <laughs> Or maybe, yeah, there's a book, I forget the author's name, but it's called Never Eat Alone, and it's advice on how people should try to network and mm-hmm. spend time. So I think um, your trajectory is also interesting because you, um, uh, I think Zion, I actually, I, Zion, you did a master's program, but I actually went mm-hmm. straight through to my PhD. And Erica, I know you also did um, a master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about that? Yeah, so that was a ton of fun. Um, so as things things went well at Bowdoin, and by the time I was leaving to even like get the job I had, I would need a master's degree, which is pretty standard when you work in higher education. You've got to have education. That's par for the course. Um, and so I applied to, there's kind of two types of programming um, or programs for people going into um, higher education administration. There's the two-year program where you'll get some paraprofessional experience while you're going through school. And then there are these more boutique um, and more expensive one-year programs where it's coursework for one year, it's like nine months or a year, and then you graduate Mm -hmm. and then you're back in the field doing the work. Um, And Mm -hmm. typically the shorter programs are for people who have some professional experience already who are kind of transitioning into the field or just trying to advance in the field. And people straight out of undergrad would go into a two-year program where they're starting to get some professional experience Um, Mm -hmm. because you got to bring something to the table when you're doing graduate work, right? Like, you've got to have some experience that's applicable that, like, enhances the program. So, yeah, so I ended up at the POLS program at Stanford, Policy Organization and Leadership Studies, um, Mm -hmm. with a higher education focus. Um, And essentially that means, like, I could go be at a think tank in Washington. 
um, and talk about higher ed policy. How do we think about administration? How do we think about for-profit colleges? Yeah, so you've got um, this other angle going here. Yes, definitely this other angle. And it's um, it makes sense in part because I'd already done a lot of the hands-on administration through Res Life. So the operations I'd had a lot of exposure to. But this, what does the field of higher education look like? And what are the big questions um, facing the field, right? Yeah. Um, and Actually, mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt you, but one of the things I think is really important as we, as PhD students or anyone goes through a field is you have to understand where the field's going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I'm actually curious, especially as people who are in higher education and there's so much happening, like where do you think higher education's going, if you could answer that question. Where's it going? Where are the big issues right now? Yeah, um, well, in the higher higher education slant of things, I mean, I think one of the things that's not talked about and is really not talked about, especially mm-hmm. at Research One universities, is the role of community colleges. So mm-hmm. the part of higher education that's growing the most right now is community colleges and enrollments, right? There's this story that anyone in America can go to college, and maybe even there's an assumption that you should go to college, mm-hmm. Um which means that enrollments at community colleges are really high, um, and they're filling a really important need in kind of our society as well, right? Like, there aren't more spaces and there aren't more elite institutions being developed. Mm-hmm. That, that's been a fixed number. The top 20 has hardly changed in, like, 80 years. They kind of shuffle around in this, like, mm-hmm. wonderful gentleman's agreement, depending on what yeah. they're going to wait mm-hmm. that year. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Johns Hopkins, Stanford are probably the last two to really bust into the scene as, like, major power hmm. houses. Um, oh, like, and, and they're old. They're pretty... They're old, and they're, but they're, they're young compared to the old mm-hmm. ones, right? I mean, even Cornell is actually kind of young, for, the, yes, for yes. the old ones. Um, and so that's actually, you know, really interesting because there's a lot of focus and attention at this, the research one and these very, like, resource-rich universities. But it's the community colleges where a lot is happening, a lot more people are enrolling. enrolling, And there's these kind of questions like, well, just be, should everyone be going to college? Mm-hmm. Um, should everyone have the opportunity? Absolutely. Having the opportunity and thinking everyone needs to go I think is two different questions, um, mm-hmm. and I think it depends a lot on where America wants to go with its workforce, what kind of training we need, and what kind of opportunities you have to make a living for yourself without yeah. a college education. Yeah. Um, and that's hard when there's one narrative that says, go to a four-year college to be successful, because maybe that's not what you need, and maybe we yeah. don't need as much of that as we have. Um, so I, yeah, think- I don't think I ever hear people say... Um, what is America's workforce and what do we need mm-hmm. in the same sentence as here's how, why I need to go to college. Here's like pumping people out to go to college, but never thinking about the workforce and like, why do we really actually go to school? It's not just to learn. It's also what do we want to do with our lives and how do we make a society? What pieces of the society do we fulfill? And That's gonna, interesting. Yeah. I was going to add to that. Like, so during Erica's time in student life at Bowdoin, of course she's, uh, was actually the boss of someone who's a really influential person uh, for thinking oh. about American society in a much larger sense, which is Duray McKesson, who people might know oh, as the blue vested, yeah, mm-hmm. blue vested, um, one yeah. of the uh, foremost people of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Duray was, you know, uh, as you can imagine, a very like big student leader at Bowdoin um, in my time there. So as we overlapped as students, but then also because I immediately went into administration after graduating, mm-hmm. um, and so he was on our head. Proctor staff, right? So he had the responsibility of kind of supervising. I think he was a first year dorm. Maybe he had upperclassmen, but I think he had first years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was also really involved in Bowdoin student government. Was very, you know, um, outspoken in like a good way of like, you know, bringing attention to light and very comfortable with that kind of attention even um, on a sm- really small campus, right? Like 1600. Right, and so I'm right. still impressed how that at a small school of 1600 translates into like a national stage. Um, but he's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was on his Twitter feed today actually. (laughs) And, um, but I was looking at it and going, Oh, he mentions Bowdoin in his, I didn't know he's from Bowdoin. I wonder if Erica knows that he's also from Bowdoin. So so like, once I found that out from Erica, I started like telling people like, Oh my God, my friend and boss Erica was DeRay McKesson's boss. (laughs) (laughs) Which yeah, but obviously it's cool to like you know a certain subsect of like people who are interested in social justice, but you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean that's really interesting. And so, what made so what made you decide to actually get the masters? Yeah, um, I really liked my job, and by really liked, I mean I love I love my job. Mm-hmm. Supervising smart people is a joy day in and day out. Cop again? Okay, 
One, two, three. Okay. Yeah, so um, after working at Bowdoin, I'd had a wonderful experience working there and really kind of was uh, committed. I guess there's this story, right, where, like, you get out of college and your first job out of college is, like, you know, it doesn't really matter. You do what you want to do. You figure it out, Mm -hmm. and then maybe you get started or maybe you move, like, four (laughs) or five times before you figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I, like, ended up in higher ed and was like, oh, this is great. I like this. I'm going to keep doing this now, Um, which Mm -hmm. feels pretty unique when I look at, like, especially my other friends and what they're doing. There's a lot more kind of bouncing around, which makes me worried that maybe I have this pent-up need to, like, go have a major career change Mm -hmm. that's going to show up in 15 years or something because I just didn't get it out of my system. Like, I went to I understand what you're saying. I understand. As someone who went straight through, I'm looking at myself now and I'm looking at my peers, like, age-wise and thinking, like, they just had so much other stuff going on and... They think I've just had this linear path and I'm like, well, I guess I kind of have. Like, did I make decisions in my life or did I just eat like, yeah. Yeah, anyway. did I take the path of least resistance? Yeah. yeah and it, obviously this is not least resistance. <laughs> I can tell you that. No, but it's Louise just interesting. Case, this is not <laughs> least resistance. If you find a path of but, least but resistance, is, Liz, I'm going to be so excited for you. <laughs> but it's interesting, like the path. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So um, at that point, it was time for me. Um, I had done three years there. I had grown up in Maine, gone to school in Maine, had my first job in Maine. And mind you, I love Maine, but I was, it was about, I think we figured that yeah, out. It was, yeah, it was time to go. It was time to see the world and spread my wings. So that was great fun. Um, yeah, so I looked, again, we kind of started in on this earlier. I looked at different types of programs, the two-year programs versus the one-year programs, and ended up in a one-year program um, uh, at Stanford, um, which was great fun, absolutely great fun. And I really, looking back at that, um, the ed program was great, but I ended up involved in the D school. It's the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford University. Hmm. affectionately known as the D school. Um, the D school. And they do human-centered design and learning. <laughs> I wanted to make a bad joke. No, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll keep going then. Um, and what I found, like, so incredibly exciting about this is I have great enthusiasm for people and a lot of energy and this idea that you can, mm-hmm. like, iterate and make things better and do it again. Like, you don't just touch something once and be done with it right? Mm-hmm. You just you just started the learning process by the time you've done a full cycle. So obviously you'd want to do it again so you could do better next time. This is why I'm a good fit for higher education. Every year I get mm-hmm. a new academic calendar. That's so true. So the cyclical projects allows me to like iterate and just kind of do better on everything. You also get new students. Mm-hmm. It's like a fresh cohort to practice on fresh. Right, so your mistakes yeah. get erased <laughs> and you get yeah. to look like you know what you're doing. It's like you a beautiful. You get to go, I'm going to treat these first. Year. It's yeah. beautiful. Wonderful. So um, anyhow, the, at the D school, there's this great just focus and enthusiasm on human-centered everything so learning from end users it's not experts who come in and know the right thing to do it's the people who are on the ground using that pencil every day who are going to tell you what they need from the pencil Um, and that was just really affirming and fun because student affairs is user focused right we are all about the students and what do they need and what where are they at and meeting them with skills and tools that are appropriate to where they're at, not just coming in and being like, oh, you're a sophomore, this is what sophomores need, right? Mm-hmm. Not every sophomore's in the same place, not everyone's coming with the same life experience. Right. And so that echoed, you know, really and resounded with me in this, like, very positive way. So it was a ton of fun getting my master's there. It was a whole lot of fun playing at the D school. Yeah. Yeah. You're just going to keep saying D school, and we're just going to keep trying not to laugh, oh, no. but... Thank you. I'm sorry, Erica. We're the we're the we're the we we do this is we're the immature. Thank you. She has English. (laughs) We're the immature ones. Um, But I just think this is so awesome as you're talking about this because I think it starts to connect more to how Zion and I know you, or were at least introduced to you. Because after your master's program, you became an administrative dean. Is that what the title? Yeah, it's what is it? Right. So there's academic deans and administrative deans. Dope. But I am just a house just only my lowly self. I am a house administrative dean. A house or a house. Yeah, I just dean, keep yeah. calling you Eric, and I forget what your actual title is. But you went from Stanford to Cornell mm-hmm. um, and became a part of a very special team. The best team. Um, you know. The best team. Mm-hmm. For reasons, I think, hopefully, you know, when we talk about this, it'll make more sense why we say it's the best team. I think it's actually the best team that I've ever been a part of. Um, I love you guys. But I'm, I'm making a little curious. heart shape with my hands that <laughs> no one else can see. It's because I love you guys. 
Like, uh, I also want to mention for our listeners, our long-term listeners may remember that Liz and I like to joke that we'd be part of, like, the ideal couple couple hire, and if we would go go even larger, like, we think the ideal cluster hire would be, like, me for humanities, Liz for STEM, and then our friend Mm -hmm. Nadia Cherniak, who is also a beta house for social science. Mm -hmm. But in this ideal world, Erica would be our our president, our college president. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and I think um, the idea of thinking about your team is a good idea and also something I don't think is too much of a stretch for what actually happens when people get jobs. I do think that these connections that people have made and these relationships they have all over time, that when someone actually does get in a position like that, they probably do call out the friends that they know. So I don't think it's completely unreasonable to have that kind of question or thinking in your mind like what team do I have and also because that really means what you're saying is who compliments me who works well with me because if you can work well together you can serve people much better than if you hire or you work with antagonistic people Mm -hmm. to your personality and things and that's something I think that industry knows very well and I don't know if academics always hire holistically like that in a way that I've seen some people do but anyway hashtag squad goals the only reason I know I even began to (laughs) the only reason I began to think about things like this is because of working with Erica. And so um, why don't you talk about Erica, like your position and some of the goals that you had when you first started as a house administrative dean. Yeah. Yeah. So when I came into um, Scott McDonald, here's my house dean. He was starting in year one. He brought me in. um, So we were both starting together and our goals, I think were to make it through that year alive. Like we, okay. I was brand new to (laughs) Cornell, which I affectionately joke like big red tape, right? Like there is just so much (laughs) administration and it's a whole, I mean, it's a giant university. Well, giant if you come from a school of 1600 um mm-hmm. it's a giant school and there's a lot Cardinal's of different large. moving parts um that I had to orient and learn um and learning how different schools kind of approach student affairs right mm, um yes, right yeah. is it this idea that you know the student before all else um but students have to get balanced with the rights of the community and where does Cornell mm. draw those lines? And what are their norms around that? What are their norms And how is that different from places you've already been? That's such, mm-hmm. yeah. So you get the, the snaps. It's <laughs> really important. Yes, yeah, so you got you to gotta write. When you come in someplace, if you're going to be successful, you have to learn your context. Because I was coming in with no context um, for this space. Mm. So there was a lot of learning in my first year. Um, but Scott, I mean, you guys have talked about MOHBCD, right? Has that come up here? Oh, no, it hasn't. Oh, <laughs> well, by all means. Okay. MOHBCD, <laughs> mind opening, horizon broadening, character deepening, deepening experiences. Yeah. And this is <laughs> Scott McDonald. I take no credit for this. This is all Scott Professor McDonald. Philosophy. Yep. Um, and it's this idea that like beyond providing a safe and secure community for students um, to also set up this space so they can launch into exploring themselves, exploring the greater kind of meaning and purpose of why they're here and what they want to do, um, helping kind of shape character in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And these are the moments that, like, when I think back to my undergrad, like, that really resounds with me, right? When I was talking mm-hmm. about, like, that, that social class, right? Like, I had not thought long and hard about homelessness in any real way. Um, It hadn't been part of my story. It's not something that people talk about publicly. So even if I knew people who maybe had been homeless at some point, I didn't know that I had known people. And there's this Mm -hmm. class um, in Intro Social, and there's this kid, and he's like seven years old, and he's getting made fun of in his classroom because he has his his teddy bear, right, like in his backpack, Mm -hmm. and someone saw it, and they were teasing him. And there's, like, a camera following. And the kid's like, well, I'm in a homeless shelter, and it's not safe to leave my teddy bear there during the day, so he has to come to school Mm -hmm. with me, right? And that was just this, like, moment for me where I was like, oh, my goodness, a seven-year-old's having to make that choice, right, between not having a safe place to, like, leave their teddy bear, fill in the blank symbolism for, like, everything else that means isn't safe, right, or bring it to school and be ridiculed by their peers. And I just had this, like, jaw-dropping moment of, like, what this is happening and Mm seven-year-olds are having to navigate this when I couldn't even handle it. It It's like an (gasps) 18-year-old thinking about that. And those are the moments that, like, I came home from that and I sat down and I debriefed with my roommates. Like, they are the ones who talked through this with me. We talked about different aspects. They were my sounding board. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about doing this work in student affairs and in Beta House, it's like creating a space where maybe it's your roommates, maybe it's your GRFs, right? Maybe your roommates can't relate or don't have interest in that. 
Um, and so creating an environment where people can bring back those questions from class that you can't be maybe as vulnerable with or totally honest with yourself mm-hmm. in that setting and giving a space for students to really dig at these, you know, the other parts of learning in academia. That's, I think, a lot about what we were going for in the house. You know, on a good day. Yeah. On a bad day, I'm just trying to make sure like, people are not burning candles. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> make sure that they're, they're alive and, you know. Alive and well, exactly. Yeah, the the basic being safety, mm-hmm. yeah, right, and how that's even important. I I think I when I was a graduate resident fellow, I had to. I think I I evolved in my understanding of what students needed and how not every student wanted to have a deep conversation with me, but being able to make sure that they were safe was also equally a part of the job. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was a protection that some people didn't get. And when I especially saw how you know, the beginning of the semester and things are really crazy and there are parties and things and kind of understanding how students who even weren't in dorms need to take drunk people to, to a dorm because they knew that someone was going to be patrolling. Just understanding that there was this need that we served in the community that way kind of made me think a lot differently about the job. Mm-hmm. Like overnight kind of made me really think and change my mind about things. And like, I think I became more serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, wait, no guys, this is a safe space. And you know what? Yes, it costs a lot of money to live on campus than it does off campus, but you get so much on campus that you do not have to worry about or, like, that protection Mm -hmm. that you don't get. Yeah. And I think I'm also a product of um, certainly student affairs. I think lots of office doors that I knocked on (laughs) asking for help or just for attention. Yeah. Yeah, lots of attention. Yeah, we don't always know where this, where students are going to feel most comfortable, where they're going to like build up. Be like, I can knock on the store and I can ask this question. Mm-hmm. So, kind of creating the different levels. Right, our student assistants, who are like the undergraduates who work as part of the team, mm-hmm. they have a really important role to fill there too, right? Because sometimes, believe it or not, you graduate students are terrifying and intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> right and you're well, old well now when I think I'm 20 so old, sometimes I so. think I'm 20 though <laughs> I was going to say so maybe the next question would uh, for us to ask Erica is how do you make the transition from being an administrator to being a graduate student and how did being the boss of graduate students perhaps prepare you or not prepare you for being in one yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely so um, when I well okay so I finished my undergrad and was like I'm done with school I am so done with school I am done with school <laughs> And then yeah. three years later, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get my master's. And I get my you master's. You just keep lying to yourself. Like, I got my master's. <laughs> I am done with school. And then I come mm-hmm. to Cornell. And Cornell has, you know, really um, generous benefits package. So after six months of employment, you can take up to four credits for free every semester mm-hmm. as an employee. Um, mm-hmm. And that's extracurricularly. So that's not in a degree program. But just like if you're interested, you could be learning French or whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, if your um, supervisor signs off on it. And so I'd been out of school for six months, and then I was like, I'm going to go to class. <laughs> so then I was like, hmm, <laughs> at this point, maybe this means I'm going to get another degree. So I um, explored around Cornell, kind of um, organizational behavior and ILR, um, and then I ended up looking at information science um, my interest being, and I think both of you would be like, oh, yeah, this makes perfect sense. I'm pretty passionate about humans and systems, mm-hmm. and particularly the mm-hmm. interface of where humans <laughs> and systems meet. And that is like... The ricks. Yeah. No, but it is. It's a really... But also, like, student affairs. Like, when a student is having a bad day or something's going wrong and they have to interact with, with the university, I am mm-hmm. the university having official correspondence mm-hmm. with students. Right? I'm at that moment where this institutional system is individually like interacting with a singular person um Mm -hmm. and that is probably being in that position since forever um has made me really interested about how do humans and systems interact which ended up bringing me to information science also I'd been you know as Zion maybe alluded to and hanging out with a lot of GRS I got insight into how varied and different the graduate student experience is um, and I imagine yeah. your regular listeners have already, like, picked up on the Zion experience versus Liz experience, right? Yeah. So there's, like, that general divide. But then even, like, within the STEM field, depending on your lab cohesion, depending on who's running the lab, the resources available to the lab, how senior the faculty member is, all of these things can wildly change um, the experience of a graduate student. Um, and so mm-hmm. a lot of it is about, like, what do you need as a grad student? And so I think it would be really hard to even ask those questions 
when you get your acceptance letters and you're choosing between two or three different programs, you don't necessarily yeah. even know what it is you're looking for. But when you get there and it's not there, you're real quick to know what's missing and you care. Right. I think that's one of the hardest things for um, first-year graduate mm-hmm. students because they don't know what they don't know. And I think it also makes it harder for them to then digest when an older student does tell them something that's less pleasant mm-hmm. because then there's another added factor of how believable is that person. Mm-hmm. And so they just don't they don't know what they need. They've never really had to question that before because they didn't realize that this was going to be important. Mm-hmm. you know. And, I, yeah, I just have a lot of sympathy for first-year students because they go through the same thing. And it's like – and it's weird because – they're always going to be a new first year, but we still can't, even though we've had years and years to kind of try to perfect that first year experience, we still can't stop a first year student from not knowing what they don't know and kind of running into a pitfall of like, I chose a situation that may not be the best for me individually. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, graduate students are allowed to change. It's not like we got our like, BA and then we're done, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm a really different person than I was five years ago and 10 years ago. And so your needs mm-hmm. can even change in the course of one program. Um, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, a beautiful space that lets you kind of, they're designed to help you grow in your academic knowledge. You're super mm-hmm. fortunate if it helps you grow in your who you are, how you approach, how you do right. half of graduate school as well. Right. And it's also hard if um, if someone in your, in your lab or in your department is doing very well, because I think you might want to apply the same logic and say, well, if they're doing well and I'm not, that means something's wrong with me. And it doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It just means this may not be the best situation for you versus that might work perfectly for them because of whatever factors. Mm-hmm. Do you think this will inform, um, so I'm assuming future later on you will be Dean Osterman. And, <laughs> um, but do you think this informs the way you think about student affairs, having worked with grad students or being a grad student yourself now? I think, I don't think it changes so much my student affairs as my, actually, my interactions with faculty, right? So oh, really? So, student affairs, right, when we kind of think about, you know, academia or, like, higher education, right, there's academics and then there's administration, right? Like, that, that mm-hmm. divide. Um, and as an administrator, I feel like I have, like, a pretty good grasp, very much grounded in student experience, and I've had some faculty experience before coming into the West Campus House mm-hmm. system. And specifically, it was that previous faculty experience, I think, that made me competitive for this role, where you're being supervised by a faculty member, working closely with faculty. And that um, is kind of par for the course at some institutions. Um, and I would argue this is probably another one of those trends that you're seeing in higher education, is faculty are not just locked in a classroom or a lab, and that's where their job ends, and then it's administration's job to take care of the rest of it, Um, because what we actually see in research in higher education is these informal interactions outside of the classroom, um, so students going to office hours, students talking with faculty members over meals, that is indicative of greater success. The students who are doing that are getting more out of their experience, um, Mm. and it's good for them, which means it's good for the school, right, and it kind of trickles down, and so I actually think the more interesting space of working with the graduate students and then the faculty at Hans Bethe is the fact that I'm now a student affairs administrator who's um, a lot more versed in understands the differences between and within different departments and styles and funding and having a lab versus having like six graduate students who each you know writing an English dissertation versus you know biomedical where you're you're putting together your articles into one final compilation right and how that mm-hmm. there are different standards for what it means to graduate for what it means to create knowledge. Um, and on the administrative side, like, I can tell you about student development until the cows come home, but appreciating <laughs> how different faculty are looking for different things from their students um, helps mm. you understand where the students might be getting lost maybe a little bit more. I was going to mm-hmm. say that this comes to one of the many things I admire about you, Erica, is that even though you're someone who's incredibly committed to systems and about change systems, you also managed to balance that very well with this uh, the need for individual experience and like the a place for chance like for example, um, as it may come across, of course, Erica is super organized. She makes sure that we are like we run as this incredibly well oiled machine. But at the same time, she has never micromanaged us, and that's what I really appreciate. Like, Erica like gives us this trust, and you trust that we're going to do things, that we're going to like program the different of uh, uh, diversity of events, like 
that we're going to interact with our students in such a way. Mm-hmm. You don't need to like have us like log every time we interact with a student because mm-hmm. you know that we'll be doing that type of work. Likewise, I think that you you see like um, as is probably very clear now to our listeners, Erica is incredibly like driven, incredibly organized. Someone who's managed, managing not just being assistant dean but also being a full time graduate student. But she also has like, okay, for example, I think she's like trying training for a triathlon, she's biked across the U.S., um, she adopted a dog, she does quilting, she just, she was also a rock climbing instructor at Cornell at the same time, <laughs> like, she just, uh, um, you managed to be di- diverse in many different areas, like, this seems to be the way that, um, what you've researched and practiced in your professional life uh, expands to all other areas of your life in terms of understanding this need for both organization, but also for well-roundedness. Mm. Um, well, thank thank you for the compliment. That's very sweet. Yeah, how do you follow that up? I don't know. We could change the topic. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what is interesting? So I prepared notes for this because I was not uh-huh. going to get caught off guard. Um, and one of the things <laughs> I had written on my notes, one of the, like, early pieces of feedback I got was, Erica, you're, like, incredibly goal-driven. Like, you go to goal. Um, and I that's that's how you get this much stuff done is you don't dither-dather in the house and what about this way or that way. Mm-hmm. You see where you need to go and you get there and you harness the best resources around you to get there, right? Um, mm-hmm. But one of the pieces of feedback I got kind of probably my second or third year at Cornell, um, and so at that level, what probably my fifth fifth year of professional work. It's like, Erica, mm-hmm. you, you're really good at going straight to goal, but process matters. Um, and you've got to make time and space because if you get to that goal and your team is ready to mutiny, it was not worth getting to that goal, right? That this space of how you do the work counts absolutely mm-hmm. as much as getting the work done. Um, and that, I don't think that's true in every workspace. Um, but when you're going to have a healthy workspace with happy people, right? The how, so the, the not micromanaging, but doing it in a way that I'm giving you guys all the resources so that I can trust you. I can't trust you to do stuff, but then withhold information you need to get the job done well, right? And so it was kind of striking that balance between caring about the process and how you guys are doing the work. Because really, we, we talk about what I do, but it is so absolutely with like the GRFs, the essays, the other people on the team who are doing the on-the-ground work. Um, I feel like I'm just casually, with a very light touch, uh, you know, being like, go a little bit more this way, a little less of that. That was good. More more of that. <laughs> you know? Um, and I think that's probably like one of those special insights is like not needing to go straight to the fin- final product. You'll get there and it'll feel like a triumph, but it's actually this this process that counts for so much. So, Erica, I feel like the the logical follow-up after hearing the feedback you've gotten over the past few years is... Oh, Lord. Since you've been our boss, <laughs> how about you enlighten our listeners about some of the ways that you've seen me and Liz grow or the okay. feedback that you have for us? Let me just say, Erica, we've both been blindsided. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I, thought it'd be, I thought it'd be entertaining. I also... Entertaining's the right word. Yeah. <laughs> Liz, you have the editing power, so... <laughs> Well, okay, so you, I mean, I'm a pretty straightforward supervisor, and, you know, we do these very helpful 360s every year, so I don't, I try not to keep secrets from you guys about where I think you can grow and Mm -hmm. kind of continue to improve. Um, Yeah, I guess you're just looking for feedback on, like, how to do life better? Or, no, I think, well, not just for us, but maybe for the entertainment of our listeners and getting us some other... Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like kind of insights is what's it like to be Zion's boss. Yeah, but Terrifying. also because, like, people... Because <laughs> people have seen us at the end of this process, but you've seen the two of us grow quite a bit. Yeah. Um, for example, so what Erico is alluding to is that uh, every year, all the staff, we do what we call 360s, where all the other staff, like, give feedback on things that we're doing well and areas of improvement. Consistently, every year, my... Uh, Places where Zion can improve include, one, speak more slowly, two, don't intimidate people so much. <laughs> they do, actually. Um, the other thing I should know is 360s is used in other contexts, but often it would be like everyone on staff getting like an emailed survey and writing something about everyone else on staff. And we do our 360s where we just ask the person to leave the room. And so it's actually a very face-to-face live process when we're, we're talking about the person not in the room with each other. Uh, which keeps it really human and actually helps yeah. people understand one another's perspective on other people in the room. Mm-hmm. So actually the doing of it has its own value, not just in, again, 
the final product, but this actually the, the way we do it. Um, yeah, yeah, helps, helps people. the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that time that our last, my last year, and you asked people, because they, it just happens randomly, so you asked if two people would leave staff mm-hmm. meeting, and no one was budging, and then Zion and I kind of look at each other from across the room, yeah. and we just did like this eye conversation, and we both ran. I know, like, just scurried away. <laughs> <like, "Yay!" laughs> you know what's funny, Liz? This happened again this year, and it was Zion and Jose, just like booked it. That's so funny. I'm I'm so proud. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, wait, you know, it's Tuesday. It's Keaton. We should go like Ooh. now. <laughs> and then people went to meet up. And then Jose was like, you guys. Jose said he, you got you guys left without me. Yeah, I remember this now. Yeah. He was yeah. so upset that he that we left together. <laughs> but like we can't this do. This is three. not the first time Jose feels like he's been left out of something. But you know, it's just because he wasn't paying attention at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that gift card, but. Um. Oh my god! You know that he he didn't realize that Scott sends us an iTunes gift card. Yeah. Until like two two or three years in, because when I was telling the staff this year, and he then realized that he like they all had gone to the junk mail. Oh good. Well, he checked it though. Yeah, eventually. Oh, that's good. Years later. Thank you for helping each other out. This is a staff that takes care of each other. I love you guys. Yeah, yeah so I guess uh, things I would... So when Suzanne so came on staff first, um, mm-hmm. and what, probably in my second, third? Yeah, second year, yeah. Well, you've second? been here six years, and I've been here four years. So, so it was in my third year three four five six yeah so it was in my third year that Zion came on um and it's really competitive to be a giraffe let me just put that out there that each year many apply many are qualified and fewer selected um which is great for the program can we get can we get a t-shirt with that (laughs) many apply fewer selected Mm mm-hmm yeah, we can, uh, maybe, I'm that's kidding. just going to remind people about, that's brutal, that's almost all application processes, yeah. That's true, that's so true. Um, so, anyhow, so, yeah, Zion came in for application, and, like, we kind of, she had this, uh, her reputation preceded her. She had done <laughs> mm-hmm. a Dr. T that somehow Scott had seen oh, yes. you at as well, um, and then, like, between us, Zion used, like, 20 words I didn't know what they meant in our interview. See? Thank and you. I, I was just like, uh, and I mean, Scott's picking up what she's putting down, and I'm sitting here being like, oh, sweet Jesus. Like, <laughs> right, and then she's like, oh, what, what do you mean you don't know what that means? Like, Because I don't know what that means. That was not an SAT Sorry. word. That was not. <laughs> it was not a GRE word. I actually was, don't know I where you found that ago. word. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean, really, if I had to think back to that day, I was just, like, not totally able to, oh. Oh, no, it's the prop alarm. Yeah. Oh, good. It's done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we could edit that out. I'm going to just start again. So when I think back to that day, um, when, you know, we interviewed Zion, there are the words that I didn't know what they meant that she used that I was like, Scott's, I'm just modeling Scott's facial reactions. Like, well, if that's yeah. how he's, I'm sure yeah. that's how I'm going to respond to. Um, and then, and I told Zion this, this recently, right, that I was like, not at all sure. I mean, right, Zion's a very um, outspoken, very strong-minded, um, opinionated, I think would be like a fair mm-hmm. assessment, right? Um, grounded in knowledge. I mean, she has a full argument to support everything and everywhere she's mm-hmm. coming from. Um, but... It was going to be my job to get her to do the work I needed her to do. And I was not at all confident that while I am very compelling and do not feel like a micromanager, I was not at all sure that, like, I was going to be able to, like, take Zion um, and have her do this work well. Because I, I didn't know if she would respect me because I didn't have those words. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and that's the honest truth of it. You're just like, oh, okay. Um, and I no, was I so pleasantly surprised. I admire your ability as a leader to admit that and to kind of see how yeah. that plays into interactions. You yeah. Know, and the yeah, way you and interpret people that you work with. Yeah, and I like to think that I wasn't, like, unreasonably cruel or harsh or anything on Zion to break her spirit when she came on staff. Mm. Um, and I was actually, you know, v- pleasantly surprised that Zion was very much like, I have things to learn. And when you can convince someone that there's something to learn from you, you have a relationship. And that's really, like, all it takes. That, like, if you can... If you have something to offer or to bring or contribute, um, you have ground to stand on. And that's, like, a really good starting point. And that's actually, like, something Zion taught me, right? I saw someone who arguably knew more than I did in a couple of different areas. Mm-hmm. But I – and I had discounted what my own knowledge and experience was worth. Um, and Zion was, gave me credit for it. And that's why I think it worked out well. Um, for the record, I've never not respected you. I think that you're a fabulous leader. Definitely, there's sometimes when we don't agree about things. Like you, you love certain like team building, like business see things. 
I told the staff we could do ropes course now that Zion was gone, but I was not going to endure the wrath of Zion by making her do a ropes course. Not that I, like, I just think it's not the ropes course that I'm against. It's like the artificiality of the trust falls, like, as a a type of corporate team building cliche that that bothers me. Yeah, we're not, there will be no trust falls. I actually once was leading a res life group and the trust fall, the person was dropped. And I no was one, dropped once in a trust fall. Yeah, you know, it takes a, a lot to come retreat. back from that. It didn't that. make any sense. Yeah, no, it's not good. And then, okay, so Zion's question, but for Liz, right, <laughs> um, on what it was like to super, supervise Liz. It's going to be curious. Yeah, well, you know what? It is hard to get your hands around a heart that big. I was just oh. like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, how am I going to help her do this work, which arguably is part touching, feeling, being real, being mm-hmm. vulnerable, and being there. And to be, Liz has no problem being vulnerable. <laughs> that is That is not something Liz ever needs to work on. Um, but this work will take everything you give it. And if you are someone who gives too much, it will take too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's probably true for any job, but when the job involves like actually supporting students in crisis and student having the worst day of their life, it can become yeah. the worst day of your life. And that was something that for Liz, you know, was the thing to walk around. Cause you can't say Liz, stop being Liz, right? That's not going to work for anyone. But like, how do you kind of delicately building space and support so it's sustainable. Um, and, you know, Liz's first semester is a pretty unique one in beta. And so when you have just kind of a magnitude of, you know, student yeah. crisis where you are navigating that, um, mm-hmm. we figured that out actually really quickly. Liz and I figured that out in about her first four to six weeks. <laughs> God, yeah. Um, but really the secret sauce there was, right, it was a whole team. Like, that was not mine to do by myself. It was mine yeah. to see and then to get people in line to help do that work to help keep an eye on Liz, right? Um, supervising isn't a one-person job. It comes from all around. When you have a healthy team with a lot of trust, right? If you guys just didn't care about each other's opinions, it would all be for naught, and I would be doing a lot more work. But I think there's a lot of internal standard keeping that you guys hold each other to really, really high standards, which means I don't have to be the person doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good team. So you my guys, problem is my legends. heart. Legends right here. Heart. Zion's words, Liz's heart. It's really <laughs> that's, that's why we're a good team, Liz. Like the Captain Planet, Win Earth. Well, yeah, heart. Yes. Yeah. Um, I do think that was interesting, especially because uh, a team like this, and and it's not unique to us. I think many teams, you have people who graduate, and so you have to always fill new people on, and so every year you're making these connections, and then you have to let new people on the team. And it's always interesting to figure out how you're going to let new people on your team and how to pick new people to fit the team so that you have still a working dynamic but also not feel like, you know, you're missing something or you're not letting new people in because they weren't there mm-hmm. for the, the tough times or, or even the happy times. Like, you're just really nostalgia-based. Yeah, Liz, you missed the goodbye party um, for Scott. Yeah. So Scott, our like most amazing and awesome house professor, he's wrapping up his term this year, and so we had like you know some other GRFs came back to campus and essays. We're all hanging out, and Nadia makes this. She's just like, yeah, when I was like new on the Beta House staff. Everyone just sat around talking about, like, how great they were and how much they liked each other. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, but you know what? We're pretty awesome. And now I sit around and we talk about how great we are and how nice it is to be on this team. And it was, like, this very sweet. I was like, God, we must be the most obnoxious house ever. <laughs> I think so. And, and I think probably. The other thing that goes along with that is I've, had, I've learned how to temper um, people's expectations about the job because mm-hmm. I had to realize mm-hmm. that just because of how it worked in beta doesn't mean that's how it's going to work anywhere else. And mm-hmm. I don't want to sell them a false pack. Because I, I did sell people false things. And I told them mm-hmm. this is what it was going to be like. And that wasn't the experience they were gonna they were having. Um, and it's not to say they were horrible. But it just wasn't what I sold it as. Because every house is actually very unique. And actually, even GRFs within beta have different experiences. And GRFs right? in beta have different experiences. Mm-hmm. That's always yeah. something I try to remember. Um And ironically, that's also, I think there were times where people would say, like, oh, I don't really know how I'm going to, how are we going to survive without Liz? And it's not just, like, in my GRF capacity, but maybe in my lab or things like that. And one of the things that I would either say or just in my mind remember is, like, you will be just fine without me. (laughs) You know, you will be 
fine, I fill a space, but once I'm gone, you will either find someone else to fill that space for you, or you will fill it yourself with something. Mm-hmm. But I am not necessary for that action. You're looking for something. You're looking for some kind of connection with people. But you're not looking for me so much as you're looking for the connection. And mm-hmm. if you're really looking for me, you can still find me. You know? That being so, said, for this upcoming year with the two <laughs> vacancies, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> both Liz and I basically groomed our replacements. <laughs> so I groomed Stephen Kim, who's from English, and then Liz groomed uh, Manet Roberts, who's from Biomedical Engineering. Yeah. Yes. And we are so excited, so excited to have them. And the other thing that I will say, like from the perspective of having watched the beta team transition six times now, is the people leaving is actually important because the roles of whatever mm-hmm. that person mm-hmm. did get redistributed. So maybe one year you were the touchy-feely person, but the next year you're the person with all the advice to give, and then the following right. year you're the person who's actually best at busting parties, right? Yeah. And so actually as the dynamic in the, the group has to rebalance every year, I think that's part of what's most rewarding about the role it's like you aren't the same person on the staff you were last right, year. Right, Because the new people, they have different strengths and weaknesses and ask of different things of you. Right. And it, and I I really like that. And it's helpful for me so that I personally, I mean, using myself as an example, but this so I don't get trapped in this one, I have to be this for these group of people. Mm. It's mm-hmm. really refreshing to have the dynamics change and, and to be able to have people look at you in a different light because then you feel more holistic. Mm-hmm. Because I am not just this person who has great advice. That is one part of me. That's not all of me. I can also be angry, or I can also be lazy. You know, and so or, impossible, yeah, impossible. Mm-hmm. Beta um, team is never lazy. <laughs> We're efficient. I will give you efficient, but that is not lazy. You think I'm efficient? <laughs> you were part of beta team. It's That's in your blood. It's in my yeah. You injected stuff into me. <laughs> I mean, using my mind I get bullets. It. I get yes. It. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um, going to back to um, the fact that now you're a student and you're an administrator, mm. and I'm just curious because now you kind of have a foot in both worlds. You filled many capacities and many roles in the academic and the university, and I'm kind of curious, do they ever conflict? Do they ever conflict? I... No, but I think that's probably my attitude that they don't conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I absolutely do assistant dean work in my department, um, quietly with, like, other students, you know, who I'm, like, watching out for or worried for. Or, right, like, if there's a big bad something, like, people know that I'm one of the administrators who's trained on how do you deal with students in crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Or if, like, you know, a parent dies, right? What are the resources for students to talk about these sorts of things? So in that sense, like, I I don't see them in conflict. I see them in very complementary um, in that regard. I think the conflict comes up, um, could come up potentially in this space where, well, maybe two spaces. Um, first, in the space where it's like, I have a limited amount of time, so where do my resources go? Right, um, but that conflict's actually addressed in the fact that because I'm in the employee degree program, it's job first, school second, except for the fact that I'm always allowed to go to class and not go to my job. So interesting, right? So they both say the other's most important, and that's a that's an administrative style that mm-hmm. works. When they both say no, you should be at that class, and the other one's like no, you should be at your job, right? There's actually g- lots of generosity, so it's my my path to walk. Mm-hmm about how to figure that out. Um, the other place where like there could be conflict is, so my research, um, which we didn't cover, but this will be good to just share before I go into the conflict piece of it. So I look at the transition that first-year students have coming to campus and how they use technology, online, community, social media mm-hmm. to navigate that transition. When you think back to your life, like the last time you had a major transition like that is probably like if your family moved while growing up, Maybe going to high school if it was like a change of schools or something like that. Mm -hmm. But this is major. It's also timed with emerging adulthood. And so students kind of having some level of expectation of autonomy in a way that like your parents are there to support it, but you're not coming home and debriefing with your parents every night. Caveat, maybe this generation is doing that more than any other generation has because they're texting <laughs> with their parents and calling them every night. Um, but and traditionally, they're saying they're missing because they didn't respond to a Facebook message for 10 hours. Yes, yes, <laughs> precisely. Um, 
So on the conflict piece of this is like IRB, right? Like I work with undergraduates. I see their disciplinary record. I help them in crisis. And I also do research on undergraduates. And so how I adjust is I do my focus purely on first year students, which West Campus does not have um, mm-hmm. first year students on it. And so that's how, you know, I've been very intentional about how do I make this, so can I, how do I do the best in both worlds mm-hmm. without having to kind of compromise? Yeah, I'm curious because um, I would imagine, it seems like there are often different narratives. As an example, um, a student, a student's experience, they may encounter resistance from administration or there's something they need and they're getting it from administration. And I imagine even as an administrator, everything they do is in the best interest of the student, but the student may not always think so. And I'm kind of thinking, Mm. maybe not in terms of specifically what you're doing, but maybe having been in both of those roles and, um, thinking about maybe it's just like a miscommunication sometimes or what are some of the differences yeah, in I perspectives that could cause this kind of dissonance? Yeah, the difference in perspective and kind of clarity of goals and outcomes, I think sometimes, I think a lot is left unsaid in graduate school. Mm-hmm. I think a mm-hmm. lot is left unsaid. And so I think students are allowed to, uh, let me be specific, graduate students are allowed to fill in this, like, well, there are these expectations that I'm doing this, this, and this on this mm-hmm. timeline, even when there is, like, published, like, expectations. Mm-hmm. And so your DGS is like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. But, like, what that means, like, those eight sentences are not, like, the only guide you need for right, how to be right, a grad right. student. And each person, based on their previous institutions, their previous educational backgrounds, right? information science is wildly interdisciplinary. I'm, like, an education social person working mm-hmm. with, like, computer scientists. We have really different understandings of the same sentence about what that means as far mm-hmm. as, you know, what we're supposed to produce or how much effort that's supposed to take or how many hours that's supposed to take. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the parts left unsaid, I think that's the part where it gets, like, really hard. And as an administrator, by being a student who's, like, you know, going through this process, mm-hmm. when I, like, write my emails, I try so hard to be, like, headline, this is the one thing I need you to take away from this. <laughs> Here are the three explicit steps that are implied in that one headline, right? Mm-hmm. Fire inspection tomorrow. Clean your room. Bring your keys know that someone's going to knock on your door, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's what you need to know from that. But, like, inspection tomorrow, like, students don't know what inspection tomorrow means. Like, are they even going to enter their room? Is this for the dining hall? Um, And so I think that level of, like, specificity, especially with undergraduates, I think is really appreciated. I think it's actually okay to sit with graduate students and that something's being ambiguous. It gives you the space to let it be the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. But not all of us are able to know and take care of the best fit for us, right? Like you see the way the older graduate student did it and you think that's the way you have mm-hmm. to do it, which is actually a false assumption, but no one explicitly said, oh, you don't have to do it the way Tim did it. That mm-hmm. worked well for Tim. You could complete this requirement by doing this for you, right? So the amb- ambiguity gives the potential for it to be this amazing, tailored, everything you need experience. But the problem is if it's ambiguous without enough guidance or advising, you're going to fill it in by what you see, which is going to be limited to like the older students. And that can make you feel like you need to compare yourself to them on a metric that is just like not even on the faculty radar. Yeah. So what should we wrap up on? And in that, I also, Erica, is there something that you would like to say or add? Maybe what's the Erica five-year plan? Oh, I love five-year plans. I think everyone should have a five-year plan at all times. In part, <laughs> Look at how excited she is right now. <laughs> yeah. Because then when people are like, oh, what are you doing? You always have an answer. And when they ask, they don't really care that this is what you do in five years or not. Mm-hmm. They just like knowing that you think you know. So, yeah, I totally have a five-year plan. It could be wildly different. My five-year plan five years ago was not to still be at Cornell, and I had no idea I was going to be a grad student. Um, but, you know, say la vie. That's totally fine. So, currently, here's the five-year plan. Um, and then I'd be curious to see, like, if you guys over or under, if you think I'm on or off on this. Okay. So, I think in five years, I will be done with my Ph.D. So, I will be, like, Dr. Osterman, just totally badass. Um, and... Other things, like shifting kind of importance in my life. I think I'd like to be back at a small New England liberal arts school, living in a town with very few streetlights and sidewalks, not a lot of people, maybe with some kids, maybe in like a dean of students' office, 
or maybe advising on like technology implications for like you know student campus life that sort of space Mm -hmm. um and kind of doing that hybrid work between the student affairs and this kind of understanding of technology and how it changes humans you know, so that's yeah. kind of roughly where I think I'm at. Also, something I forgot to mention for our listeners is that Eric also got married during the time that we knew her. Oh, yeah. So that's, uh, that yeah. Some well, context. I did say she met her Ben, but... Um, oh, okay. Oh, okay. yeah. But maybe that was a little bit subtle. Met but. him, planned wedding, got married, lots mm-hmm. of fun stuff. Had honeymoon. Oh, best advice. If you get married, do the honeymoon right after. That wedding is going to take everything out of you, and you need a beach. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good part to close on. You need a beach. Everyone needs a beach. Everyone probably needs probably regardless whether they're not getting married. I like that. It's so true. This has been lots of fun. I miss you guys so much. Yeah. No, thank you for doing this. It's um really good to see someone really inspired by student affairs and someone who's who cares and has the insight. It's really interesting to see that, especially knowing that you're going to be higher up one day. I can't wait to see where you end up, honestly, and what school you're at. And I can't wait to, like, make a graph of, like, that school pre-Erica and post-Erica <laughs> and see all the graphs, like, all the lines just go mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Oh, going up in good ways. We yeah. don't want, like, you know, oh, student withdrawal, <laughs> sad students. <laughs> we yeah. want only the good stuff to get better. Hopefully that'll be the case. Well, and then when I bring you guys in, you know, it's like faculty hires. Totally. <laughs> bring us in. I really, I mean, again, networking is important. I think it's the kind of space that we want to create. And you have to really create, which means you have to make those connections and make the space and make the case to have your space. Mm-hmm. So, I didn't yeah. mean to rhyme, but, you know. <laughs> and it's good accountability, right? People who have yeah. known you for a long time have known you for a long time. So you got to do the work well. Yeah, and I know your track record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Danielle. And this is Liz Wayne. Make sure you please like, subscribe, review all that type of stuff. We appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for Erica for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great.